welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Amen. Well, hey, good morning again, and always great to be with you. We are in the season of Lent, and Lent is a holy season that Christians have practiced for centuries, and and what this season is about is this is a journey that we go on together to the heart of God. Lent is a holy journey to the heart of God, and so we began this season on Ash Wednesday by talking about returning to the heart of God through uh, repentance. Then last week, Dennis talked about prayer and, and fasting, as well as the opposition we often face as we go on this journey together. And now today, I, I want to talk about something that is absolutely essential for this journey we're on. And what I'd like to talk about today is worship. I'd like to talk about worship. And if you know the Bible, you know that this is something we're actually commanded to do. So, for example, Psalm 100, verses 1 through 2 says this, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Now, because this is something that we're commanded to do, it might seem like this is something you may choose to do or not. But but here's what I found we all worship something. <laughs> we all worship something. So I remember the first time this dawned on me, I was in college, I was at Cal Poly, and uh, at this point in time, I'd, I'd begun following Jesus, and I lived in a house full of guys, kind of crammed in there, and uh, I had come back uh, from church. This was a Sunday morning, and I, I came back from church, and most of my uh, fellow roommates were, were, were followers of Jesus, but I had one, one friend who and roommate who was actually an atheist, and we were good friends, and, and uh, when I came back from church, uh, I found him on the couch doing his, kinda, his normal Sunday routine, and he had a very, like he had a Sunday routine. What he would do is, he would, every Sunday morning, he would set aside time, and he would watch heavy metal videos. And he was very, he was like, he was very intent on this. He was like, in, in a sense, very religious about it. I mean, in the, in the, like, just in the very neutral sense of the word. And, and so I, you know, sat down and just we were catching up and watching heavy metal videos. And he put on a, a concert, and, uh, an Ozzy Osbourne concert. And there was a moment where, you know, the camera panned to the crowd. And it showed someone holding up a banner that said, Ozzy is our God. And I thought, oh, for me, like the penny dropped in that moment. Like, oh. It's like, wait a second, like this is his form of devotion. It's almost in a sense, like this is his form of worship. Like we all worship something. Uh, Another illustration, uh, I heard a a pastor share recently, I think this was Mark Sayers, who's a wonderful pastor in Australia, that uh, he was on a long intercontinental flight. And so as you can imagine, at, at some point during the flight, he had to get up to use the restroom. And so he went to the back of the plane and he found a group of Orthodox Jewish men gathering and praying. It was the time of prayer. And so they were praying in the back of this plane plane, and he was thinking, you know, probably to most people around, the, you know, in, in the plane, they probably thought, this is such a peculiar thing, you know, here they are on this airplane, they're, they're, they're kind of praying and, and worshiping, then he turned around and looked at the rest of the plane, and he noticed that everyone else had their faces glued to a screen, and the penny dropped from, wait a second, we all worship something. <laughs> we all give our devotion to something. We all give our attention, our focus to something. You see, part of the thing about worship is that we all worship something or somebody. And, and really, to be human makes that inescapable. We will give our ultimate allegiance, our ultimate 
devotion, our ultimate attention to something. And it might be your job, it might be uh, money, it might be your reputation, it might be your uh, appearance, but whether on purpose or on accident, for better or for worse, you will worship something. Martin Luther, who is the 16th century reformer, he said this, whatever your heart clings to, and you can put the quote up, there we go, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. And of course, so often we cling, we rely, even as followers of Jesus, we can cling to and rely on things other than God. And so really central to the call of the season of Lent really is to call us really back again to the heart of God by offering him our ultimate worship. And that's what I want to invite us into today, to really worship the Lord our God above all else, because he is worthy. Now, talking about worship can be a bit difficult because of what comes to mind for different people. And, and uh, what I found is that often uh, we live on extremes here. And so, for example, some people would say, you know, when they think of worship, well, you know, worship is my life. Uh, and that's true. Uh, biblically, that worship is, is, is to be our whole life, is to be an expression of worship to God. The, the problem, however, is that practically, this often gets left at a level of such vagueness that it's really not very helpful. Now, now the other extreme is to think, well, well the worship, it's just songs, it's just, it's just music, and, 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 and of course, it is at least that. But of course, it is actually way, way more than that, that worship includes, but goes way beyond music and songs. And so all that to say that, that worship is actually a very broad reality uh, that, that we are called to. But for our purposes today, just to kind of focus our discussion, I want to focus on the practice of worship. The practice of worship, in particular as expressed through singing songs and hymns and you know, reading psalms and, and scripture as we do here on a Sunday or in our personal lives uh, and by the way, everything we do here on a Sunday is actually worship. And that might be a new thought, that actually everything we do, from the offering to communion to the prayers of intercession, everything we do here on a Sunday, this is actually worship. And, and, and so here, here's the question. How can we engage in worship, whether here on a Sunday as we gather as the body of Christ or in our own uh, personal devotional lives, how can we worship God in a way that actually draws us close to him, that actually draws us? to the heart of God, because that, that's not automatic, right? And so how can we engage in a worship in a way that truly helps us connect with God? Well, in order to answer that, I think we have to realize that when we come into this place, when we come into this space of worship, that, that we do not come as blank slates. Um, here, here's what I mean by that. So, so to grow as followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus, we have to recognize that we've already been discipled by something else. It's really important. So where we need to start in the dis discussion is actually with how we've been impacted by the culture around us. And so I, I want to start by exploring a challenge uh, that we face when it comes to worship, and it is this. It's that we live in a culture of entertainment. We live in a culture of entertainment. I don't know if you've driven to L.A. recently, but there are not actually billboards. They're like, it's like a TV show on the billboard. Uh, and you're supposed to be driving by, yet you want to like, your kind of eyes go over to this kind of TV screen billboard thing. You're like, I don't know. So actually, I hear there's a lawsuit on that, but as you can imagine. But just, that's just a perfect, perfect image of how we are just surrounded by entertainment. It's amazing. 
It is amazing. I also want you to think about this, that you actually have more entertainment available to you in your pocket than any monarch, any king, any queen, any sultan, any royalty ever did in the history of the world until this era. Until maybe 15, 20 years ago. You have more entertainment, more diversion options, more amusement options in your pocket than anyone else in the history of the world. And, and this is something that is impacting us. And so we have to come to grips with this reality. We do not come into this place as blank slates. We come as people who've already been formed. And so we come needing to be reformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And so we have to start with this awareness. We are, we are like swimming in entertainment. Now, of course, we love it. <laughs> so so why, why do we love it? Why, why, why are we so drawn to it? And I think a major reason is it because it offers us sort of pseudo experiences that offer us, you know, uh, you know this, again, this experience that we can enjoy from the safety of our couch or our car as we're driving or whatever it is, you know, listening to, to, to music. Where, where I, you know, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to change anything about myself. But, but I get to feel this excitement or this uh, intrigue or this uh, thrill of whatever it is that's entertaining me in that given moment. But, but the downside of entertainment, and I want you to hear this, is that it is inherently passive. Entertainment is inherently passive. And, and so if our lives are filled with entertainment, then that will form us in a particular way. Just uh, yesterday, I read an, a recent study by Nielsen, and this is, I knew the numbers on this were high, but this, I, this actually took my breath away. And, and it showed that the average American, get this, spends more than 11 hours per day consuming media, whether TV, video games, internet, and that does not include texting, that does not include email, does not include stuff like that. And so for me, I'm like, who's working? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, how's this place still running? I have no idea. I have no idea. But again, think about that. That, how, that, that is having an impact on us. And you can be as sincere as you want to be, but if that is your life, that will, that will form you in a certain way. And so we, we have to come to grips with that. Uh, Neil Postman, in his, in his classic work, Amusing Ourselves to Death, an amazing title, Amusing Ourselves to Death, he, he talked about this inherent passivity of entertainment. And, and, and he points out that this gives us something to talk about, but that it actually cannot lead us to any meaningful action. Uh, that, that's what entertainment does. And, and of course, that's kind of why we love it. So for example, uh, you know, we can, we can watch the news shows and, and feel like we're up to date on current events, that like we're in the know and what, what's going on in the world. Uh, yet what, what the statistics tell us is that most people don't show up to vote. Yet we feel like, hey, but I know what's going on, right? Or another example, I, I, you know, I can watch him so, show on HGTV about how like they're doing this really cool thing like fixing up somebody's backyard. I'm like, that is so cool. Oh, I love what they did. All the while, that's like giving me an excuse to not do anything in my own backyard, right? <laughs> you see, like again, it's just like this passivity that comes with entertainment. It conditions us actually, actually to, to have this very passive approach. And just to bring this a little closer to home, what this means when this kind of filters in and trickles into our lives is that we can even show up here on a, on, on a Sunday morning and we might hear a message about forgiveness or I might be a, even a pastor preparing a message on forgiveness and yet we can walk out of this place holding on to bitterness, uh, whether towards a spouse or a, a loved one or, or a friend. It's, it's like there's this, there can be like this disconnect because we've been so conditioned to consume and then leave. No action required. And, and see, this culture of entertainment leads us to a life of distraction without investment. 
or involvement, and, and that really is to our peril because that trickles down into every area of our lives, including our worship of God. And so to help us deconstruct this, and we really need to, uh, I want to compare and contrast uh, three, three ways that kind of this, the ethos of entertainment culture differs from biblical worship. Okay, three ways that this ethos of entertainment culture differs from biblical worship. I'll give you sort of an overview. You can put up the overview slide. There we go. And then we'll walk through these one by one. But, but first of all, there is a different focus. In entertainment culture, the focus is on the self. In biblical worship, by contrast, the focus is actually on God. So that is a, that is a very different focus. Uh, second, there is a different driving question. In entertainment culture, the question is, what can I get? In biblical worship, the question is, what can I bring? As we sang this morning, what can I bring? And then the third difference is with respect to approach. In entertainment culture, the, the approach is passivity. In biblical worship, the approach is active engagement. Active engagement. So that, that's an overview of these two very different postures, but let, let's kind of unpack these one by one. So the first is focus. Biblical worship has a different focus. Again, uh, in entertainment culture, the focus is, is, is on the self, but uh, in biblical worship, the focus is on God. For me, one of the best lines that's ever been written was the opening line of Rick Warren's famous book, Purpose Driven Life. Only four words, short and sweet, but very powerful. He says this, it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. Such a great reminder for our age. I love that, because why? Well, because our default, just as human beings, is actually to make life all about us. And then comes in this entertainment culture and billions of dollars of marketing and that just like ramps that up even more. And again, that can filter into the, the rest of our lives. And we can even bring that into worship. Now, if you spend enough time in church, especially as a pastor, uh, you will hear lots of comments. <laughs> like, I liked worship today. Or, I didn't like worship today. And here's why. And, and I have to be honest, <laughs> sometimes I'm tempted to say, well, that's okay, it wasn't for you. <laughs> Now, I'm Swedish, and so I, I, I wouldn't say such a thing, but I, might, but I might think it. I might think it. I might think it. <laughs> but you see, worship isn't about us. Worship is about God. Psalm 66 says this, sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. That is what we are to focus on as we enter into worship. Uh, whether here on a Sunday or in our personal times of worship with God, we are to focus on God, not ourselves. It doesn't mean we're, we're unaware of ourselves, but it means the primary focus, the focal point is actually on God. Not on our problems, not on our preferences, but on Him, the living God. Now, there's an image uh, in Scripture I've been thinking about this week that I think really helps capture the sense of focus that we are to have in biblical worship. And, and if you were to read through the Gospels, you will see that when Jesus prayed or worshiped, he, he did something particular. And what, what you'll find is that it says he looked up. He, he lifted up his eyes. And, and interestingly, just on a side note, I, I read recently that the, the practice of uh, bowing your head and closing your eyes, and nothing wrong with that, but it was actually uh, at least mostly a Victorian development uh, to help un, uh, you know, kind of unruly little kids to kind of calm down and, and that kind of thing. But Jesus, it says, and you'll notice, when I break the bread during communion, what do I do? I look up. That's actually what Jesus did. And, and the specific, uh, well, I'll get to that. But we also see this not just Jesus. We see this in the Psalms, Psalm 121, one of my favorites 
says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and on earth. So the psalmist looked up, Jesus looked up. His focus was on his heavenly father. Now think about this just briefly. I want to think about uh, the feeding of the 5,000. Luke chapter 9, verse 16 says this. It says, taking the five loaves and the two fish, this is referring to Jesus, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and baroque them. You see, this, this moment of feeding the 5,000, this is a moment of thanksgiving. This is a moment of, of worship. And, and what's so instructive, think about this. In this moment, Jesus is surrounded by thousands of people. His resources are so utterly inadequate for the task. So the temptation would be, look down. Oh, no. I don't have enough. What does he do? He looks up. I love that. It's so instructive. Rather than looking down at his problems, his seeming inadequacy, he looks up to his heavenly Father who is able. And so as we worship this morning, the invitation is to look up, to not focus on the size of your problems, the smallness of your adequacy, your uncertainty about tomorrow, the fear in your heart. We are called to look up, to turn our focus to the living God because he is able. He is able. And that's, that's a decision we have to make. But we, will we do that? Now, I, I want to add just one more thing with this, that one temptation is to look down, to look at our problems, to look at the things that, that get, make us afraid. And another temptation is to look inward and, and to leave it at that. Now, now, biblically, looking within, in other words, having sort of a reflective posture about your internal life, your thoughts, your feelings, your motivations, that is a, a really good thing. For example, Proverbs chapter 20 Verse 5 says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but the one who has insight draws them out. So this sort of inward journey is, is a wonderful thing. But what, here's what I found, uh, is, is that uh, often people get stuck here because, if, if you think about it like this, if you have an inward journey without an upward journey, uh, that is a problem. And you will, because it's like, think of this, like, think of like, you know, again, it says your heart's like deep waters. So think if you have like this little pond here, that's your heart, uh, and, and you're in digging up all this stuff, but there's no fresh water supply coming in. What happens? They'll become stagnant. Eventually, they'll kind of start to stink. <laughs> it's what we call a swamp. No fresh water coming in. And so what we need is we need this upward journey. We all need the inward journey, but we can't have that without the upward journey. We need the living water of God to continually flow into our hearts and lives. And so this is a reminder for us to, to not look down and to not merely look in, but to look up. That is always the starting point, the foundation for everything else, for everything else, to turn our attention, our focus ultimately to God. And I am so convinced uh, that the American church needs a Copernican revolution of the soul. What do I mean by that? Well, back in the day, people thought that everything revolved around the earth. Copernicus came along. He said, uh, actually, check this out, guys. Actually, everything revolves around the sun. And so it's like we've, we've got this thing where, we've, again, this, 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 this cultural di dynamics uh, have, have, have led us to such a place where, again, it's like we, we need a Copernican revolution of the soul where we remember and we turn back to this place where, no, it's all about God, that, that, that he is the one that it's about, and worship is about him. It is about him. He is worthy of all honor and glory and praise. And so the first invitation of biblical worship is, is, is to turn our attention, to focus on God, to look up. That is the first dynamic that, that sets it apart from the ethos of entertainment culture. And here's the second thing. The second way 
that biblical worship differs from entertainment culture. And it's with regard to this driving question. And, and again, in entertainment culture, the, the, the driving question is, what can I get? In biblical worship, the question is actually, what can I bring? Earlier, we actually sang a song that says, what can I bring to you? And that is exactly the right question that we are to ask when we come into the dynamic of worship. Not what can I give, but what can I bring? And just to make this point from Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26 uh, says this. This is Paul speaking to a congregation. He says, here's what I want you to do. When you gather for worship, and not, by the way, not if, but when, when you gather for worship, each of you be prepared with something that will be useful for all. In other words, bring something. Sing a hymn, teach a lesson, tell a story, lead a prayer, provide an insight. You see, we all have something to bring. That is the heart that we are to have. Now, uh, tied to this, the Bible also uses the language of sacrifice in the context of worship. Uh, so uh, Hebrews chapter 13 says this, through Jesus, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Psalm 116 says, I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving. That we are called, when we come into worship, that we are called to bring a sacrifice to God. And, and, and really two focal points to that are, are praise and thanksgiving. These are just central uh, things to the life uh, of worship. So you might wonder, well, what, what is thanksgiving? What is praise? Let me just say a brief word about this. It is a, uh, we got a joyful noise already here. This is awesome. <laughs> so what is Thanksgiving? Well, it's, it's a thankful heart that looks to God uh, to, to the th uh, to, with respect to the things he has done. So in other words, it is a response to God's actions, to his deeds uh, in our lives personally, but also throughout, throughout history. And so, for example, if, you know, he provides for you, and, and you're like, thank you, God. Thank you so much for providing for me. That, that is an example of, of thanksgiving. Now, now, praise is similar, yet a, a little bit different. Whereas thanksgiving focuses on what God has done, praise focuses on who he is. Okay, so here's where we start. Thanksgiving is, God, thank you so much for helping me pay my mortgage this month. Thank you, God. God, thank you for helping me buy that car. God, God, thank you uh, for uh, helping me uh, have bread on the table. So that we're thanking him for these, but then we go from saying, God, thank you for providing to saying, oh, but God, you're the provider. I praise you, God, you are the provider. See the difference between thanksgiving and praise, and both are integral to the life of worship, but there is that distinction that is very important. But the main point here is that, that, that when we enter into worship, that scripture says that we are to come with a sacrifice. In other words, we, we are actually to bring something. That is to be the focus. And what that means, first of all, is that when we show up to worship, is that we don't come with our forks, pound on the table, feed me, feed me. No, actually that we come saying, no, God, I want to lay in front of you a lavish banquet of praise and worship and thanksgiving because you're worthy. That is the posture, that is the attitude that we are to have. And I know that's a different way of thinking about things than we so often do, but that is the attitude that we are called to in Scripture. Now, now this language of sacrifice also has another implication. And what that implies is that it might cost you something. <laughs> it might cost you something. It might cost you convenience. Uh, it might cost you time. It might cost you focus uh, and energy. And, and sometimes what that means is you show up to worship and you're not feeling it. But really, the, the basis of worship is not what we feel, although that can enhance worship. When you're feeling it, that can enhance worship greatly. But the basis of worship is that he is worthy. 
It's who he is. And so that's why we gather. So again, in that moment, that might feel like a sacrifice. I'm not feeling it. And sometimes, you know, maybe you don't even have the strength to sing. Guess what? Let someone next to you sing for you. But the invitation, that's why, we, that's why you can't reduce worship to a podcast. You can't reduce it to a Spotify playlist. We need each other in this journey. We, we really need each other in this journey. We all are to bring something because not only is it blessed God, we also we each get blessed as we show up, as we bring our gift and lay it before the Lord. We are, each are blessed. But really the call is that we are to, to ask our primary question and through that we get blessed, right? Uh, you know, um, there's so many scriptures about this, but through, through worship and as we bring that offering to the Lord, that we are blessed. But again, the, the first question that we would ask is not what can I get, but what can I bring to him? That is the first question. So we've seen that there's, uh, with biblical worship, there, there's, a, there's a different focus, there's a different driving question, but also, third, uh, there is a, a different approach. And what I mean by that is that the, 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 really the approach uh, of entertainment culture is passivity, is consumption, whereas the, the approach uh, or the posture of biblical worship is active engagement. Active engagement. One of the classic invitatory psalms. In other words, psalms are inviting us into God's presence for worship. Is Psalm 95, and it says this. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. You see, this is an invitation to active engagement. This is not an invitation to something that is perfunctory or, or casual uh, uh, or half-hearted. This is an invitation to active engagement, to, to sing, to shout, to come, to offer, to give thanks and, and extol God through music and song. The heart of biblical worship is active engagement. And why? Because he's worthy. He is worth our very best praise and worship. Uh, my first year in grad school, I, um, I dropped a class, which if anyone knew me at that time, they might have been surprised by that because I was super into my studies. I'd see one, one of my colleagues here uh, from those days. I was super into my studies. I loved uh, philosophy. I loved theology. And so you might wonder, well, why uh, did I drop a class? Well, the reason is because I found something that was better than philosophy. And her name was Ansley. <laughs> <laughs> And so I actually dropped a class that semester so I could pursue her. I really did. Why? Because she was worth it. She was so worth it. She was worth every ounce of that active pursuit, that active engagement. Because for me, this was not a casual thing. This was not a casual relationship for me. I was in hot pursuit. <laughs> but the invitation for our relationship with God is that it would not be a casual thing that we treat flippantly. I mean, think about this. The veil's been torn. Like we can come in through Jesus into the holy of holies. How could we take that so lightly? How could we take that for granted? We are called to active engagement, to prioritize this life of worship of God. He is so worthy of it all. And as Carrie mentioned, we're having a night of worship and prayer on Friday. And I just so hope you can join us. And even if you're like, I don't really get worship. Awesome. This is the place for you to be. That's the place for you to be. We love, we're just going to gather together. We're going to bring our hearts before the Lord and worship, prayer, uh, song, and uh, it'll be a great time. Uh, I'll just share one, one other story on this. I, uh, I uh, once heard, this is years ago, uh, I heard Francis Chan speak, and he shared a story. He visited um, the underground church in China, 
and he said he was so amazed that an hour before the, the church service even started, everyone showed up. Not, not just the worship team, everybody showed up. Why? To practice their worship. Because they were so like, we, we are going to give God our very best praise. And so we're not just the worship, we're all going to show up and we're going to just practice because we just want to give God our very best and we're just going to worship our socks off. And for me, it was like, wow. That was like a revelation. I'm like, wow, like, have we gotten too casual? Uh, have, we, have we lost something in our casual Southern California culture? Have we lost something? But the bottom line is if we want to push back the tides of entertainment and consumption in our lives in the church, we are called to actively engage in worship. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, there's a wonderful passage we read a moment ago from Mark chapter 12, where Jesus says, love the Lord your God. This is our highest call. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And, and really, this is key. This, this verse is key to understanding how to actively engage in a life of worship. And so just to simplify, I want to break this down into three kind of component parts. Three things this involves. Engaging with our minds, engaging with our emotions, and engaging with our bodies. Engaging with our minds, engaging with our emotions, and engaging with our bodies. So let me say just a, a word about how we do that with each of these. So first of all, our minds, we actively engage in worship with our minds. What does this mean? What does this look like? Well, what this means and what this looks like is that uh, when, when you enter into worship, that you don't let yourself go on autopilot. You don't let yourself just kind of put the screensaver up. Um, for example, when music starts, uh, when scripture is read, we don't check out. Instead, we tune in. We actually deliberately focus our attention on what we're doing, uh, on, on, on the words, uh, on what we're saying, what we're hearing, what we're doing. Uh, we, we tune and we deliberately turn our thoughts to God. And one of the most important things that you could know about your mind is that God has given you the power to direct your mind to different things. You actually have that power. You can direct it one place or to another. And so really central to worship and, and how we engage with our mind is that we direct our thoughts to God. Again, we, we, we look up. So this is another way of talking about that, that focus point, that we look up, we turn our minds to God. I once heard Dallas Willard say that one way of describing worship is to say that it is a matter of orientation. And so where this starts is with our minds. We orient ourselves to God through our minds, okay? And so let me get just real practical here. So what that looks like in practice is that when we're singing songs, uh, I'm thinking about the lyrics. I'm not kind of just mentally checked out. I'm, I'm thinking about what I'm singing. When, when someone's leading prayers of intercession, I'm, I'm silently agreeing or I'm silently adding my own prayers in with that. During communion, I'm remembering what Jesus did for me on the cross. Because after all, Jesus said what? Do this thoughtlessly. No, do this in remembrance of me. That, there's a call to active engagement with our minds. Now, why would he say that? We're prone to forget, right? We're prone to distraction. We're prone to just whatever. And so we're called to deliberately, actively engage with our minds, to remember, to turn our thoughts to God. That is central if we were to actively engage and have a flourishing life. Uh, of worship. And so we bring before our minds the greatness of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the patience of God, the mercy of God. We allow these things to fill and flood our minds. And that is like, that's like, uh, if, if you've got, um, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen like Survivor where they're like trying to start one of those fires, like that's like the spark. When you bring those things before your mind, that's like the spark that will ignite a flame that will turn into worship. It starts with our minds. That involves focus, 
that involves remembering, that involves deliberate turning our hearts and our thoughts, our minds to God. Okay? Um, um, hmm. so, so much more I'd love to teach on this, and I feel like that's almost more like a workshop time, so I'll just skip that part. Too many notes. Um, but I'll just say one, one, one thought on this. Um, so part of it's like it's, it, we're attending to God with our minds, and that's part of that uh, has to do with thoughts, uh, words, you know, words of scripture, um, ideas. But another thing that you is often overlooked, I've heard very few people talk about this, is actually there, there's, there's an, an image side of this. So in our minds are not just words and, and, and propositions and sentences, but they're also uh, images. There's imagery. And so me, actually, when I worship God, one of the breakthroughs for me is I deliberately, it's like when I, I, I get on my knees and worship at home, I, I like, I, it's like I just imagine myself in the throne room at Jesus' feet. And for me, that has been like a game changer. I don't have time to unpack that. Dallas Willard has a chapter in Renovation of the Heart if you want to kind of explore that. But that's just a, that's a freebie. Okay. So, <laughs> so active engagement worship starts with our minds. But although it starts with our, our minds, it cannot end there. It must not end there. Why? We are holistic beings, right? We, we've got minds, but we have other parts of our being too, right? And, and, and another part of us is, is, is we have emotions, Unless you're Swedish, like me. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry, Joe. Where are you? <laughs> we're, we're Swedish brothers. Okay. But all seriousness now, so I'll share about my background. So I grew up in, in a, a very uh, conservative uh, Swedish uh, Christian church that was initially the denomination called the Swedish Missionary Church. And many wonderful, wonderful gifts and strengths and blessings about the people I come from. Sorry. Um, but one of the things that we didn't have an imagination for was an engagement of our emotions in worship. Like, just not at all. Like, so like the spiritual ideal in the context I grew up in was like absolute stoicism. <laughs> it was like, that was like, oh, that's spiritual. Oh man, you're spiritual. Like, like that, that was the ideal. Only problem with that is, Jesus wasn't a stoic. Jesus, George's verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Garden Gethsemane, He's in anguish. He's pouring his heart out before the Father. The, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is joy. That's his Holy Spirit. See, see, Jesus was tremendously well-connected emotionally. David, who is like the greatest worship leader and, and worship songwriter of all time, penned most of the Psalms. You look at the Psalms, it's like, well, you got songs. He's just leaping for joy and, 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 and shouting. Again, we're called to shout aloud. I mean, that would have, that was, that's in the Bible. And, and, and in my context growing up, I mean, if somebody would have shouted for joy, I mean, yeah, uh, people would leave the church. What, what do you do with that? Shout for joy? Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Joe's feeling me. Joe's feeling me. Uh, but you know, there's joy. He's also he writes laments. He's 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 sad, he's angry, he's pouring out his heart to God. There are also psalms that are more like kind of quiet and peaceful and, and, and contemplative, like be still and know. So we see the full gamut of human emotions expressed in worship in the Bible. If we are to actively engage in worship, we have to start with our minds. We can't leave it. We must also let that flow into our emotions. Have to let that flow into our emotions. So important. So important. So practically, what does that mean for us? Well, I think part of what that means is that, again, we're, we're, we're singing a song or we're celebrating communion or we're reading the word that we actually have kind of an open heart. Sometimes I, I, we have like these guarded hearts, like the doors of our heart. Jesus says, by the way, Revelation, he's knocking at that door. What does that mean? You can close it. You have the power to close the door of your heart to Jesus Christ. 
You have the power to close off your, your, your emotions to him, to keep him out of there. Uh, and I, I get that because some of us are carrying a lot of pain or disappointment or longing that is unmet at this point. And so the temptation is to close off, but the only way you'll truly experience the fullness of the goodness and mercy of God is you open that door and let him in. And so that is part of what we do practically. You, you don't shut down, even if it's an uncomfortable motion. You actually, if, it, if it's anger, if it's grief, pour that out to God. That is how we experience and, and grow in active engagement through our hearts. So, so uh, active engagement starts with our minds, flows into our emotions. But the next thing, uh, if this is really to be full-fledged, like biblical worship, that has to eventually lead and connect with our bodies, Okay. So um, what's super fascinating is if you kind of dig in uh, to, to, to Hebrew, one of the works, words that is used over and over again in Hebrew uh, for worship is a word that literally means uh, to prostrate, to lie down, to bow before. The word blessing, it means to kneel. The word thanksgiving means to raise your hands. So, so all of these things, worship, blessing, thanksgiving, have corresponding, think about this, corresponding physical actions that tie to them. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, years ago, I visited the Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh, and, and there was this one really fascinating di- display, uh, and it was a very, very uh, uh, early Christian art uh, depicting Christians worshiping God. And do you know what, how it depicted the, those, those early Christians worshiping? Hands raised. I love that. See, some of us, like, we've got this thing where it's like, you feel it like, uh, I don't know, 1960s Charismatics invented raising your hands. <laughs> this, is, that's, this is our heritage. I don't care what kind of label you would use yourself. This is our heritage, using our bodies in worship. David leapt for joy before the Lord, and actually people judged him for it, and those people were judged by God. Because God's like, bring me your best worship. I want your body engaged. And by the way, if you, if you've, if you never learn how to use your body in, in worship, you are so missing out. You are so missing out. Uh, it, so it's kind of like having a Porsche, and you only leave it in first gear. That is so missing out. If you're only doing cognitive worship, I'm just sorry, you're missing out. That's not to say there aren't times for being quiet, contemplative, peaceful, but if that never connects to your body, then you are really missing out. You are, you're really missing out. So think of it like this. <laughs> think of it like this. So um, suppose I were to describe my marriage like this. I have a wonderful marriage, wonderful wife. been married almost 15 years. It's amazing. Um, but I were to say that, you know, we have such a cognitive love for one another. We have such cognitive devotion. Now, we'd never hold hands. We'd never hug or kiss or anything like that. We're like, I love Lucy, you know, at night, like we got our separate beds. <laughs> Good night, dear. Light off. If I, was, if I were to describe my marriage in those terms, you'd probably think, what? There is something wrong with this marriage. There's something seriously wrong with this marriage. You see, same thing, but how, so how can we do that in a relationship with God? If we only live at this kind of cognitive level, we are missing the fullness of full-orbed biblical worship. And that's what God has for you and for me. And, 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 and the Lord says, taste and see that he is good. And the only way into that is actually if we come with all that we are into his presence. That is how we taste and see. We come with all that we are to him through worship and praise. Um, so I'm out of time. So Ben, let's, I'll invite you to come back up. <laughs> I just want to leave you with, with kind of a challenging quote from A.W. Tozer, uh, amazing, amazing author. He says this, the church that can't worship must be entertained. Ouch, right? Yeah, 
The church that can't worship must be entertained. You see, we have, we have two options before us. Either we can embrace the culture of passivity and consumption, or we can accept the invitation that is offered to us again and again in Scripture to come. Psalm 95 says, Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. Think of Psalm 100. It says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. That is the invitation before us today, to worship God with all that we are, because He is worthy. Let's pray together. Oh God, we just recognize, God, you're so worthy of our praise. You're so worthy, God. We also confess before you now, God, so often we're so distracted from you, so often we're apathetic, God. So often we just lose sight, God, of who you are. God, so would you forgive us and would you give us fresh eyes to see you for who you really are, God? Would you just break off discouragement, disillusionment, disappointment in this place today, God? And would you give us hearts like David, who is a man after your own heart, who sought you with all his heart. He had his mistakes, as we all do. May we have hearts like that, God, who will not settle for anything less than more of you, a life of just full-hearted worship of you, God. Would you teach us more and more, God? Would you form us into a worshiping people? In Jesus' name we pray.